You are listening to Off the Cuff. Now, here's your host, Adam Banks. Welcome, everybody, to Off the Cuff. I am Adam Banks. Thank you for listening to the show. Broadcasting from Lexington, Kentucky, and this is the post-game episode of the March Madness series. And in the studio, I have my OTC professional sports panel, Zach Hahn and Chad Rainwater. Guys, this is the last episode of the series. It's a bittersweet moment, to say the least. How you guys doing? Oh, doing great, doing great. It's uh, it's been a fun uh, series to be on. It's a shame that we won't be uh, doing these again for another year, but uh, always exciting to bring a close to March Madness. It's truly one shining moment. It is. I'm Chad. glad. I'm glad to be back, man. I'm glad we're not celebrating a Duke championship. Um, you know that always makes things worse. So I feel like me and you in the past years have been stuck on the show by ourselves. And it's been pretty depressing, but I think this one will be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people like to bail out on the series when Kentucky loses, but I feel like that we do a pretty good job with uh, taking the punches, rolling with the punches. We understand that this is a show that don't primarily focus on Kentucky. We like to focus on a little bit of just college basketball as a whole. But you can't help but be a little biased when you got – Three people in here that's huge, diehard Kentucky fans. Yeah, the day that we do have to celebrate a UK win on the champ- on the post game show, that's going to be a great day. That's going to be a wonderful day, and I can't look can't wait to look forward to it. Well, folks, the Final Four—that's what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss three games: Virginia, Auburn, Michigan State, Texas Tech, and Texas Tech, Virginia. As you already know, unless you're living under a rock, Virginia Cavaliers are the 2019 NCAA Division One champions tony bennett getting his first championship and we're going to talk about them in just a few but let's start with virginia and auburn what a game that was that was the game that we as kentucky fans were hoping we would get to see when we we was hoping that we would be facing virginia but auburn upset us and auburn went on and played virginia and i think that that game i think the highlight of that game was the last literally two seconds of the game yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, a couple of controversial calls down the stretch with the uh, no-call double dribble and then the uh, foul in the corner. It was uh, high drama to finish that one off for sure. Oh, it was a horrible way to lose. I mean, for, I mean, it's it's uh, obviously the guy got fouled. I think it was a uh, the right call to make, but it's a horrible way to lose. Yeah, that that's a really bad way. I feel for Auburn. Uh, I'm just glad that Kentucky wasn't in that position because, I mean, if, the, if that, that had been us playing against Virginia and we lost like that, they would burn down Lexington. We wouldn't be here right now probably because there would be no Lexington here. Yeah, Auburn, I saw, they. you know how they had the camera set up at the different campuses uh, to show the students celebrating. Auburn legitimately thought they had won the game. It was that close to being over, and Auburn had it. And they were starting to throw toilet paper up on the trees, and that – that happened, the foul happened, and they made the shots, and then they just turned around. Yeah, I agree with you, though. The foul, I thought the foul was pretty, uh pretty good call, and he still had to go to the line to make his free throws. It was the, the um, it was a Jerome dribbling off his foot and not getting a call for that. That was really, really stinging. But I got to agree with what Bruce Pearl said. You know, he said, um, just quit talking about it. It's a, you know, it can't come down to, it doesn't come down to one play. There's a whole bunch of plays throughout the game. Some of them go your team's way. Some of them don't. Uh, and, you know, I think that's – if he can have that kind of outlook on it, then hopefully the Auburn faithful uh, can as well. 
Yeah, going back to that double dribble, um, I believe in real time, not many people noticed it until after the fact. You know, nowadays, if, some, if a missed call is like that, then uh, it shortly comes out on social media. And I believe that's when it started the big outburst of everybody crying about it because in real time, you couldn't really tell it was a double dribble. But as a foul, yeah, that, uh, it looked like the guy initiated that contact. But in that situation, you have to call it. Is there certain calls that should not be made during a championship game? I know that the foul, it was a legitimate foul, and the referee, he caught it as he seen it. And you notice when you go back and you look at the instant replay in slow motion, when the dude threw up the shot from uh, from uh, uh, Virginia to uh, and the guy from Auburn fouled him, you can see the referee, without even seeing that the shot went in, called the foul. And we've talked about this before. You still have to make your free throws. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I mean, to answer your question, if like there's calls that that shouldn't be made uh, because of the situation of the game, uh, I don't want to jump ahead. I know we're going to get to the championship game here, but there was there was a call uh, that they did on replay last night in overtime that I felt like maybe was one that you don't make just because the stakes are so high and you don't want to get down to technicalities. But we, we can come back to that when you when you bring it around. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was an unfortunate situation for Auburn. I, I've never seen a team like Auburn turn it on uh, like they did come tournament time, unless you want to compare them to Kentucky in 2014, what a run they had. But Auburn was on that run. It looked like that they were unstoppable, and it looked like – if they would have snuck past Virginia, they could have beat Texas Tech because uh, Auburn was known for their threes. That's what they like to shoot, and they could have kept up with Texas Tech doing just that. So um, you can't, like Bruce Pearl was saying, there's bad calls all throughout the season. There's calls that go their way. There's calls that go against them, and it just it is what it is. Let's move on and prepare for for next year for Auburn. So, uh, should Bruce Pearl jump on the uh, train and move on to a better job? Because this might be he, – he might catch himself in the NIT next year with Auburn. No, I disagree with that. I don't think they'll be that bad. You know, since Bruce Pearl's come to Auburn, he's had a pretty good pretty good few years. What's even there? Is this, was this his fourth year there at Auburn? Yeah. I mean, they said last year they won the SEC tournament. Mm-hmm. Or, no, they won the SEC regular season, and this year – we thought for there for a little bit that they were uh, they were going to have a bad season, and they kicked it into gear right after that uh, twenty-seven point loss to Kentucky, and they didn't lose until Virginia. Yeah, Michigan State Texas Tech was another game in the Final Four. Uh, what was your thoughts on that one? Uh, that was a really, I mean, that was kind of a coming out party for Texas Tech. Now, obviously, they had a good run to get to the Final Four, but to beat Tom Izzo like that when it when it seemed like Michigan State had everything going after beating Duke, um, it was uh, it was an impressive game by the uh, Red Raiders. Yeah, the the team in red. Is, yeah. it, is that why they're called the Red Raiders? Oh, I think it's just literally their nickname. I mean. It's, a, it's alliterative. You got Raiders. You throw red on there. You know, you got two R words. It really rolls off the tongue. Tom Izzo, <clears throat> he's been at Michigan State 21-22 seasons. He's only got one championship. And let me just say this about Tom Izzo. It really frustrates me that people like to get on John Calipari all the time. Oh, he's only won. He's only won one championship in 10 years. Well, 
they're saying we should fire him because of that. Well, what about Tony Bennett? Should Virginia just go ahead and fire Tony Bennett because he's only won one championship in 10 years? That You see how silly that sounds? Look at Tom Izzo. Been there 20-some years and only won one championship. Look at his Final Fours. He's got, what, four Final Fours in 23 years? Is that acceptable? Is Michigan State a blue blood, a blue blood program? Yeah, I think so. What do you think? I agree. I mean... You do? So you think before... Tom Izzo, it was. I, you know, they had Magic Johnson, so they've got some. Uh, they've got some history and camaraderie. Uh, before, if we're talking before, before uh, that, that, that's my time. That's before my time. I'm talking about right now. They're blue. I would say consider them a blue blue blue. blue, blue. <laughs> Why? Why would you consider them a bluebird program if they've only gotten one championship? Well, and speaking of their that one championship they had. Was damn near twenty years ago. Okay, well, we just recently—well, not recently, but just now—won our first championship in twenty years. We only have one more than they do. They won. Well, they won in two thousand. They won in two thousand, and we won in two thousand twelve. We also—I mean, we won one in nineteen ninety-eight as well. But I would consider, i mean, they're in the—they're there every year. I mean, they're in the—he has them in the top ten. They're one of the programs that have a chance every year to make a run in the tournament and perhaps win a championship. If, if, I feel like... Yeah, if Michigan State's not a blue blood program, I mean, who is Adam Banks's official blue brother? I can't say it now either. I'm glad I'm the only one. I'm glad I'm the only one. Red Raiders is a lot easier to say than blue bloods. Oh, blue bloods is it's pretty hard. And I was even wondering if I said that correctly. Is blue blood. That's what people say, right? Blue bloods. Blue bloods. Blue bloods. Where that name came from? Blue blood. Uh, people do say that, right? I didn't just create that. Right? No, that's no, just that's say, a saying. Yeah, people I mean, do say that. Technically, I guess everybody's blood is blue until it hits the air, right? And, yeah. Uh, so I don't know what that means. I don't know. I've just heard it said. And it sounded cool, so I was like, "Yeah, they're a blue blood program." We could say powerhouse program. Yeah. There you go. So who's Adam Banks's powerhouse programs? There must not be many if you're not if Michigan State's not there. I, what Chad makes a really good point, and you know he did he did. Uh, kind of make it clear as to why I guess in the last 20 years they would be considered relevant. I just get upset when you have somebody like Tom Izzo who's not won a championship in almost 20 years and then you have somebody like Calipari who the media crucifies all the time. Oh, he's only got one championship. Oh, he ain't had a championship in five years. Tom Izzo ain't had one in 20. Oh, uh, Calipari's not been to the Final Four since 2015. Okay, I mean, come on. It's just... I, I, that just frustrates me, and I just feel like Tom Izzo. I don't. I can't say he's overrated. You cannot say he's overrated. He is good, but it just frustrates me that he never gets any flack for it. They never say anything bad about the man. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, it comes down to the criticism against Cal. I mean, they're always criticizing him, and I don't know if it's personal stuff that they have with Cal or what. But I feel like Cal's one of the one of the most criticized coaches in NCAA. I guess if you just look at Izzo versus Cal, um, just the way that they build their programs, like Izzo kind of gets a pass because he relies more on the traditional players that stay for a while. So it's like, oh, well, these guys are young, but, uh, you know, give them a couple years and they'll be a Final Four team. <clears throat> Whereas Cal, with so much roster turnover, he never gets that pass. So I, I, maybe that's one aspect of it. But I agree with you. It's ridiculous. I, I'm totally in favor of the lifetime contract. 
Well, he, yeah, he went against Chris Beard of Texas Tech. And uh, do you think Izzo got out coached in the last five minutes of the game? Um, I wouldn't say out coached so much. I mean, Texas Tech, like they both, both teams had good game plans coming into that last five minutes. And, um, you know, Texas Tech executed well. Uh, their, their top play, Culver. Uh, had been terrible the whole game, and he really stepped it up. And then you had um, their point guard, um, was it Moody? Yeah. Yeah, he hit several shots that were like, oh, that's a terrible shot. And then it just like clanked around and rolled in. So um, I think they both coached well. It's just one team executed and one team didn't. I like Chris Beard. I mean, you talk about a coach who really started from the bottom and now he's here because Chris Beard started out in the NCCAA and um, he uh, coached a school called McCurry and has done well pretty much everywhere that uh, he's went. And then left there and went to Angelo State, a Division II school, and then left there and got into Division One and coached one year at Little Rock and succeeded there, went to the tournament. And now he's been at Texas Tech three years and already had him in a Final Four and a championship game. Quite impressive by a guy who has only been coaching in Division One for four years. I agree. He's one of those up-and-coming coaches, and I uh, wouldn't mind having him on the on our side if Cal does decide to leave. Whenever his lifetime contract <laughs> is up and he decides to step down as coach, um, I wouldn't mind having Beard. I think he's one heck of a coach, and uh, he's got Texas Tech right where they need to be. Yeah, uh, Beard is uh, – I like his attitude. Uh, you notice when he beat Michigan State, you was expecting him to go to the locker room and jump up and down and dance around with the players, which I was hoping to see because I love that about March Madness. Roy Williams is the best at that of, of getting everybody hot. But Chris Beard, the first thing he did when he walked in the locker room was just had his players uh, hit their knees and start praying. And I guess that's just something that is popular because Auburn was doing the same thing. Uh, Texas Tech was doing it. A lot of praying this March Madness. A lot of giving the glory to God. I don't know if it's a publicity thing, uh, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was a little bit different. Yeah, it was nice to see that. And, uh, you know, uh, aside from just the religious aspect of it, I think it was definitely like the final four of, uh, well, with maybe the exception of Bruce Pearl, like on the court persona. Just like the other three guys are just so calm, especially the two that made it to the championship. I mean, they it was just like the uh, everybody's just calm, almost like too calm for the moment. You know, really like the look around the arena, it's crazy, and these guys are just like barely even sweating. Yeah, well, uh, the Texas Tech came out on top against Michigan State, and then that puts us to the championship game, Texas Tech versus Virginia. Zach, you and I watched that together last night. Uh, the game, it was all you could have pretty much asked for for a national championship game. It was excellent. It ended up going into overtime, which is always exciting and always gets your adrenaline going. But um, let's talk about that game. Um, was that championship game worthy? Yeah, I believe so. I believe uh, coming into the game, a lot of people, at least on social media, wasn't going to watch the game right. because of how bad the game, how bad they thought the game was going to be. You know, both uh, Virginia and Texas Tech was the top, both top three teams, I guess, coming in defensively, and you knew it was going to be one of those games, like I like to call it a snoozer, where it was all about defense. You know, there for a while to begin the game, it was two to three for the first five minutes, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. 
But it started to pick up shortly at, after that, and I really believe it was one of the best uh, championship games I've ever seen. Especially, I mean, you got you have to say it is because it went to overtime. I mean, you don't get that many overtime championship games. At least I can't. I don't know the last one. I can't think of the last overtime game. Um, it, I mean, I, you have to go back at least. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Fifteen years or so. I, I, I saw last night the, which one it was, but I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Yeah, it was right up there with the uh, Villanova hitting that last second shot for me. But uh, no, I thought it, I disagreed with people that said it was going to be a bad game just because of uh, the teams being defense. You know, if a game looks like it's going to be a fifty-nine, fifty-five game because the teams are turnover prone or they foul a lot or something like that, to me would be a snoozer. But um, these teams like to limit the number of possessions. They just played good. Uh, containment defense and uh, to me that was exciting because you knew that it was going to come down to uh, the last few minutes you knew that every possession was going to count and the the game was going to move along pretty quick which is great when it starts that way and it was never over it was never over until it was over because they kept going back and forth back and forth lead change after lead change and when it went into overtime I I was uh, that was a game I I mean, it was a late game. Started at nine thirty, which is way too late. Way too late. Not as long as WrestleMania, which yeah. NCAA. Uh, if you haven't noticed, the West Coast doesn't really care about college basketball anymore. I mean, UCLA just stole like a mediocre, mediocre coach from the Midwest. Like that's how bad it is out there. So maybe just like cater to the East Coast fans a little bit because I think that's where your fan base is at this point. And uh, start the game before nine twenty. Virginia ended up winning the game. What a redemption story for Virginia. I've never in my life seen a team, well, it's never happened, but I've never seen a team redeem themselves as good as what Virginia did, losing as the number one overall seed last year in the tournament in in the first round to a 16 seed. First time that ever happened. Humiliating, embarrassing, all the above, to the very next year winning the whole thing. Yeah, I have two things on this. The second point I brought up to you a little bit earlier, and I'll bring it up to Zach as well. But um, first point I have, uh, what a story, man. You, could, you, you can't write a better story. I mean, not with just what happened last year, but with all of the magical, I'll say magical, I guess, shots, that the magical shot games that they won. I mean, going back to the Purdue game with the tip-in, uh, then you go to – Heck, I'm, I'm I'm losing here. Who did they play in the? We just talked. Um, oh, Auburn. Yeah, 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 yeah. How did I forget that? But then with that, the way that game ended, and then hitting the shot yesterday with what 12 seconds to go to tie the game up, and going into overtime. Yeah. I mean, you just can't write it up better than that. And uh, my second point. Um, so obviously Virginia was embarrassed last year. Going up, they were the number one first time over. First time a one seed had gotten beat by a sixteen seed. Yeah. So this brings up my question, and we can we can debate on it or whatever. But um, would you take a historically embarrassing one in sixteen? Or uh, sorry, let me start over. Would you take an embarrassing sixteen seed over a one seed loss if you knew the next year you were going to win a championship? So like in Virginia's case, would you take a whole year of just getting criticized and made fun of, but know the next year you're going to win a championship? I'll answer first, then I'll let Zach answer. So you're saying that I—it's like I have a crystal ball. So like I know that they're going to win the championship next year. Are you saying? Are you just kind of saying in a um, in a situation? Well, even if you uh, you you had the best shot at winning the championship, 
I don't. Or, or you can say crystal ball. You knew. Okay, we'll say you knew for a fact you were going to win the crystal ball. I don't know how you knew you had a crystal ball. Right. If I had the crystal ball, sure, I'd take it. But um, if I didn't know it was going to happen, but let, let's just say that's just what was in store for us, no, I would not take losing uh, in the very first round because um, even though the very next year, yeah, that's great, we won the championship. Wow, that would be embarrassing to lose to a 16 team. That hurts your program. Kentucky. Under Calipari has never had that embarrassing loss in the tournament. We've never been upset. Sure, we went out to, in the round of 32 in 2016. That was still not an embarrassing loss. It was uh, it was a loss against Tennessee. They were ranked higher than us. Uh, they were seated higher than us. So, no, I wouldn't consider that Kentucky's big upset. It's going to happen. Statistically, it's going to happen. Kentucky's going to have that big loss. It might be a 2-15 but uh, would I take us being the number one overall seed losing to a 16 seed? No. Okay, what if you knew for a fact you were going to win the next year? Yes. Zach? Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that because uh, Banks and I were talking about that during the game last night. Uh, if Virginia loses to Texas Tech last night, then that whole – it's not a great story. Like, it, Tony Bennett's curse, like the program's curse. Like, it doesn't matter that they got to the championship game – Literally, the loss to the to the 16 seed was so bad that the only thing that could redeem it was to win the championship the next year. So it would have to be a certainty for me. That was the only thing they could have done. And you know what? You know what? Tony Bennett will never have to worry about that. He don't even. He can actually talk about that with and just take a deep breath when he talks about it and kind of joke about it now. Yeah, it's a learning experience. He can be like, whether they did or didn't learn from it, really. You know? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we we, we really overcame the adversity. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, he can legitimately talk about that uh, loss in 2018 with a big smile on his face. He can talk about, <laughs> yeah, how how uh, they learned from it and how they come back from adversity. But the only way he was able to do that is if he did exactly what he did this year and win the whole thing. And that's but, what he did. Yeah. What about you, Chad? Do you think that – would you take a loss to a number one overall seed – for a championship next year? Uh, yeah, I would have to know for a fact that we were going to win it all. Like if, if I knew for a fact we were going to win it all the next season, I would take a, I would take a loss because, I mean, at least a loss to a 16 seed. Um, but if I, if, if I didn't know, if it wasn't for certain, um, I would probably agree with what you said. I, probably not because it's, it's, that's so embarrassing, especially us being Kentucky. Mm-hmm. We would probably get criticized a lot more than Virginia did. Oh, yeah, and, and it hurts your program because the odds of winning it all the very next year is astronomically low. Tony Bennett, I mean, he don't have to worry about that loss anymore. He really don't. Like, yeah, they'll talk about it forever in March Madness because it was the first time it ever happened, but they don't have to be embarrassed about it anymore. Yeah, right, because the footnote to it will always be, well, Virginia, it, when it, it'll happen again. Another 16th seed will be to one. Right, eventually. Note about it. So at some point in the future, it's going to be, well, who was the first one? And then people say Virginia, but they won the championship the next year. So, like... It's it's a positive footnote on the whole thing. It, it like eliminates the embarrassment. I'd go so far as to say that I would take, I would take like two losses in a row to sixteen seeds if I could get a championship out of the third year. Like championships are worth that much. Yeah, yeah, that's what it all boils down to. But right, you you can always they can always say Virginia fans about that story. They'll always be able to say, yeah, they lost to the sixteen seed and turned around the very next year and won it all. So, 
the best thing that could have happened to them happened to them last night. And Virginia is a team that I didn't mind to see win because I like Tony Bennett. I don't think there's any better human being on the planet than that guy. I mean, that guy conducts himself with so much class, so much um, calmness. Um, poise. Just poise. And just the way he – the man, has he ever had a technical foul? Uh, yeah, I had to look that up. Um, I can't get a, a definite number. Maybe Chad uh, the, can can Google it here. But when I Googled it, I couldn't get a definite number. But there was a news – the top hit was a news story about his first technical foul. Uh, so I'm assuming he doesn't have that many. They had a whole news story on his te- – first, first technical foul, yeah. That may still be his only one. Because it was so rare for him to – Yeah, I feel like up. the ref would have to be way out of line to give him a technical – like, wait, wait, why, why are you so calm, huh? Why are you so calm, <laughs> coach? How about this tea? Like, Tony Bennett is so calm. If he got a technical, the referee would get a a technical for calling a technical. On yeah, Bennett. it would be like that ref that uh, teed up the announcer that one year. If you remember that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, you know, you guys remember I wrote the man who got teed up on Twitter and he sent me a, a private DM, which I read on the March Madness series. And I still have it in my Twitter. The guy who... Uh, got cussed out and kicked out of the game. Uh, but he wrote me because I was wanting to interview him, and he said he just wanted it to die down and he didn't want to talk about it no more. We didn't forget on Off the Cuff. <laughs> no, but he he turned me down. Uh, but Virginia, they are the national champion. So I just want to say congratulations to the first ever Off the Cuff Bracket Challenge winner, and he's sitting right here at the table, Zach Hahn. Let's give him a round of applause for uh, winning the Off the Cuff well, it was it was a tough field, uh, you know. Just uh, wow, you know. <laughs> what do you say? It was great. It was great. It was, and you know, I tell you, we had ten participants in this year's tournament. Didn't do much advertising, but since the bracket is now everything's played out and the tournament's over, I'm going to go through and list in order of the ranking of the people who um, joined the bracket. So the first winner. Or the uh, the person who won Zach Hahn, uh, who came in second, was is also here at the table. Chad Rainwater. Uh, obviously, I'm the one that just fell off the turnip truck because I'm always down here at the bottom. But number three, Austin. Well, that's Evans. why you bring in the. Uh, that's why you have the OTC panel. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, because I couldn't do it by myself. Uh, Christopher T. Does anyone who know who Christopher T. is? I do not. I do not either. Is he related to Mister T. <laughs> he is number four. Adam W. Makes me think of Adam West. Uh, was number five. Does anyone know who Adam W. is? Mm-mm. America Hall. <laughs> Bucks fan 0817 was number six. Greasy Burgers was number seven. <laughs> Grant Neff was number uh, eight. Uh, number nine was yours truly. And number ten, and in last place, Grant Moore. So, Grant, you are obviously the stupid one out of everyone when it comes to sports. I can say that about Grant because Grant's a buddy of mine and he's a loyal listener to Off the Cuff, so I'm just joking with you. Maybe not anymore. <laughs> but uh, congratulations, Zach. You are going to get the Off the Cuff coffee, uh, coffee cup. I still have to order that. Oh, my gosh. I thought like that's the whole reason I came over here. <laughs> that that was my fault as well. I'll take blame for that because I was supposed to order that two weeks ago. Yeah, we and I kept that. pushing it off. Here. Oh, it's only three to five days. Three to five days. Well, you might you might get it. You might get it by Christmas. <laughs> I will get it to you. But we do have a plan for the coffee cup, and it was your idea. I was just going to just hand it to you and let you have it, but you have an idea where you want to take that coffee cup and pass it 
along to the next winter when he wins next year or she. Well, I've got to get the dang thing before I can <laughs> can even have the plans now. I'm just I'm so dejected. Uh, yeah, I mean, my original idea was like I would use the coffee cup for a year and then it would just be like a, a floating. I like just the idea of trophies that change hands, like you know, like the Stanley Cup type thing. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, when, once I have the coffee cup in my possession, maybe maybe I will uh, reconsider. Maybe it looks like off the cuff might be dealing with a small budget here. Can't afford a new coffee cup for every year. <laughs> yeah, so we have to pass around the same coffee cup. Right. Yeah. I might as well, if if we get one, that might be the only one we ever get. So. Well, there have been a few changes uh, that's went on in college basketball, and the coaching carousel keeps on spinning. So I just want to go over a couple things. Mick Cronin left Cincinnati this morning. Uh, he signed a deal with UCLA to become the new man in charge there in the Pac-12. Uh, he signed a contract uh, making him um, go from a $2 million a year salary to a $4 million a year salary. At just age 47, he is now coaching one of the most historical programs in college basketball. Good hire or bad hire? Uh, I think UCLA just got a little desperate. I mean, what they try to go after, they obviously went after Cal. Yep. They went after uh, Rick Barnes, which we I, I thought that Rick Barnes would have left Tennessee to go for UCLA. I thought it would have been a bad move on his part. but And then they tried to go after uh, Jamie Dixon. Yeah. So they were, they were just trying to get somebody um, – I thought for a second that Rick Bettino might wanted to wanted to go out to UCLA, and I know I think you've brought that up before in the past that uh, you thought Rick Bettino would be a good uh, good coach there. Uh, but Nick Mick Cronin, um, he gets his teams to the tournament. I mean, it is Cincinnati, or it was Cincinnati, and you know what they are—the city of losers. So they they uh, they never can get past the first or second round of the tournament. But he he had them there uh, nine straight years in a row. He took Cincinnati, and. Uh, UCLA's been down. Uh, they Their last good season was when they had Lonzo Ball, uh, when they played Kentucky in the – was that Sweet 16 in yeah. 2017? Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the last really good season they've had in quite some time. Uh, I don't know if you can still consider UCLA one of those uh, elite programs anymore. I mean, they haven't been re- relevant in quite some time. I don't know if Mick Cronin is the guy to um, – to lead them in the right direction, so uh, I don't know. It's not a. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a bad how, hire. I don't think it's a great hire. Hire, but they just had to do. They just needed a coach, and everybody else was already taken. So they just had to get somebody. Okay, it, they they do make it to the tournament a lot, but they don't do anything in the tournament. Yeah, They're it, always he's losing. got one Sweet Sixteen. That's it. I think it was a bad hire. I I think that UCLA they did get into a rush. I think they were getting embarrassed because they kept getting turned down. But uh, Mick Cronin, uh, they could have done better. I don't see this being a long place that he stayed. I don't see him staying for a very long time. I think UCLA will get disgusted with it because they didn't hire a guy just to make tournament appearances. They hired a guy to win championships. That's why they went after Calipari. So Mick Cronin, I don't know. No, I agree with you. When you said uh, historical program, that's basically what they are at this point. Um, it was a desperation hire. I think they should have would have been better off waiting for the uh, Lakers to fire Luke Walton and go that direction at this point. Well, Cincinnati is now a job opening, and I've heard a few names mentioned uh, to replace uh, Mick Cronin at Cincinnati. Uh, the first obvious choice, in my opinion, would be John Brannon, and he is the head coach at Northern Kentucky University, which is right down the road of UC. 
of UC. And uh, John Brandon, you guys, if you're not familiar with him, he used to be the interim coach at Alabama and then got the head coaching job at NKU. He's done a fine job there. He's um, made a uh, two tournament appearances in four years. And I don't know if he's ready to go to a conference. Well, I should. He, Cincinnati's in a horrible conference. Aren't they in the Big East? Uh, they're in the American. Yeah, it's pretty bad. He yeah. might be ready for it because he's in the Horizon League right now. So that might be the next step up that he takes. I've also heard Steve Alford. Uh, it would be interesting if that happened because it would be a coaching swap. The reason I say Steve Alford is because it's his hometown. He's from Cincinnati. He is familiar with the area. And um, usually when you have a coach, they're from that area. They take more pride in that position, and they want to uh, really excel in it. So Yeah, I think that's a good choice. Um, another name that jumps out for a job like Cincinnati to me is um – I don't know if Fred Hoiberg has a job anywhere, but I know he's still kind of floating around. Um, was the Iowa State coach and then really didn't pan out in the NBA with the Bulls, but kind of inherited a bad situation there. So, I mean, they could go that route. Somebody that's been out of the out of the ranks for a year or two, but still a big name. Um, another coaching change is, uh, of course, Buzz Williams left Virginia Tech and went to – uh, Texas A&M, and Texas, Virginia Tech just hired a brand new coach, and I'm trying to pull him up here of, just to look at some stats of of who he is. They still have Buzz Williams listed as the freaking coach of Virginia Tech, of course. Yeah, come on, Google. Yeah, Virginia Tech, who did they hire? They hired, uh, it was a, oh, without even looking, it was uh, Nevada's coach, which we've seen in no, person. No, 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 Arkansas got him. Musselman went to Arkansas. Oh, was that right? Yeah. Who did Virginia Tech get? Um, yeah, no, we talked about it. It was a terrible hire. Um, well, sorry, folks, we're letting you down here. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know who they hired. Oh, Justin. No, that's football. Never mind. Okay, Virginia Tech. Have they even made a hire? I was thinking of. I was thinking of uh, Nevada's coach. Is who I was thinking of. So yeah, he was hired at Arkansas. I know on the last show we talked about him, uh, Arkansas going after Houston's head coach. Yeah, Kelvin uh, Sampson. Yes, and so that didn't pan out. So they ended up going with uh, Nevada's coach. Chad, you're a fan of him, aren't you? Nevada's coach? Musselman? Yeah. Uh, no, I only liked him just because of what he did last year. Well, I didn't even like – I don't even necessarily like him. I just thought it was funny how he was dropping the F-bombs on air last year. Uh, he seemed like a pretty enthusiastic enthusiastic coach. It, what, is it Arkansas? Yeah, that they got, and it was uh, Wofford's coach that went to Virginia Tech, Mike that's Young. Right. Yeah, and that we said that was about. We already forgot his name because it was a terrible <laughs> hire. He'd been at Wofford for like 15 years, and just I mean, put together a really good team this year, but took him 15 years to to get a second round team together. It's amazing that all you have to do to to climb the ladder in college basketball is to have one good March Madness series, one good March Madness. And that's all you. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need. I mean, you could even get the king, the keys to the kingdom, if you do well during March Madness. Billy Gillespie got hired on at Kentucky, and he just come off of a Sweet Sixteen. Never even been to an Elite Eight, and coaching the most historical program in uh, in college basketball. Yeah, it's all about getting the the hot name. I mean, you know, there's got to be guys out there in these smaller conferences that maybe they didn't do much this year, but they're career record is a whole lot better than 
than somebody like uh, Mike Young. Yeah, so it's 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 something, and that just goes to show you that that's what matters is what you do postseason. It doesn't matter how many winning seasons you have, how many games you win per season. What matters is what's beside your result at the end of the entire uh, college basketball season, where you went in the tournament, and um, because you can just have one good one good run in the tournament. And you can name your job. And you better jump on that tray while it happens because it is not easy to make it to the Final Four or advance. That's why I was curious to see if Buzz was going – or not Buzz, but Bruce was going to leave Auburn because that train, you need to jump on it quick. You need to jump on it quick. But, uh, yeah. Are you, are you about to wrap up? No, I was going to – pretty much going to wrap up, but I was going to move on to one final point. But go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to – no, you, you make your point. I was going to say, uh, before we go, uh, Texas Tech and Virginia, two teams that you typically don't see in a Final Four, is that good for college basketball? Uh, yeah, I think so, because um, it was two two programs that aren't there all the time, but they're both kind of like the big schools. They have large fan bases. They're good, I don't know, like college athletic schools. Like they have, The fans pay attention, like I said. Um, and I think it, it's good to have a little bit of variety every once in a while. You don't. It would be a shame if only the uh, blue blood programs ever <laughs> ever won. Right, and the Final Four as a whole was it was different. Virginia, Auburn, Texas Tech, and Michigan State in there, which I kind of threw them under the bus, but Chad kind of put some sense into me. Uh, you can't listen to what I say. I got number nine in the off the cuff bracket challenge, but. Uh, yeah, Chad, what was you itching to say? Oh, I just wanted to bring up one shining moment. <laughs> Did anybody watch that? I missed it. I fell asleep. Did you watch it, Zach? I was going to, but then I was like, it's almost midnight. Well, I believe <laughs> I believe what happened was they uh, made, instead of showing one shining moment this year, they played one Zion moment. Uh, you got to be kidding me. Are you me. serious? No, they showed Duke six, seven, maybe even eight times during the whole thing. More than Virginia, more than Virginia, Kentucky. I almost watched the whole thing. It was about I was about to go to CBS, and I won't say what I was going. I'm, was I'll you going to write a letter? I was going to write a letter because it was like thirty five seconds, thirty five forty seconds in until they even showed Kentucky. They showed Kentucky once. Yeah. It was the Tyler Hero shot, but yeah, they showed Duke. Um, every one of their games, and it was Zion, Zion, Zion. They didn't even win the championship. Yeah. And that frustrated me so bad. And I'm, even though Duke didn't even win, it's still frustrating to see them. Like, like they made this before the Final Four. Like, they wanted Duke to win it that bad. Yeah. It was just so frustrating. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see this over, though. It is frustrating. And uh, the fact that Duke lost in the Elite Eight, and uh, they're still – Harping over Zion being the best because when they lost the next day on Sports Center, around the horn, all these sports shows, the only thing they were talking about, the only game they were talking about was Duke and why Duke lost. Is Coach K overrated? Blah blah blah. Ridiculous stuff about Duke. They the whole every every sports show was talking about why Duke lost. Why do you think it happened? But thank God we never have to hear about Zion Williamson in college basketball again. What we're talking about why Duke didn't win. I was listening to Stephen A. Smith uh, the following day on that uh, that's that Monday, and he said that I think it's pretty funny. He said that Zion didn't have any help. <laughs> he said Zion didn't have any help. He They're said like Zion did deep. 
So that's the reason they lost. They have a they have three or they have two other top five projected NBA draft picks. Yeah. And he said that uh, Zion didn't have any help. And just a lot of depth. Otherwise, I mean, they had um, Bolden, White, uh, Laverne. What was this? Laurier, you know what I'm talking about? Laurier. La- yeah. yeah. What I can't think of his name. You know it if you Delorier. say Delorier. Delorier. Yeah, Javon Delorier. No, just, they, they had a lot of help, Stephen A. But, I, I mean, he gets paid for the hot takes. Yeah, I think it was just an excuse to – just an excuse for Duke, but – Number one overall draft is going to be in the draft this year. I'm not even speaking on this. <laughs> well, we've already said his name. Yeah, but, uh, we did. Uh, <laughs> y'all, use your imagination. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this about wraps up – well, this does wrap up the March Madness Series 2019. I have a vision. I have a vision that next year when we do the March Madness series, it's going to be bigger and better here on Off the Cuff. I have a vision that you're just going to have to wait and see if it happens. But hopefully that we're going to be back in a much lavish studio and uh, Off the Cuff's going to be even bigger. Yeah, you just made it. That was a big tease there. Yeah, man. Again, use your imagination. And I tell you what. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to do, uh, the March Madness series, and mainly because I get to hang out with you guys. I appreciate you all doing it. And no matter how big Off the Cuff ever gets, you guys are always going to be a part of the family, and you're going to be sitting right here every single year, even if we're on Sirius XM. If I have to fly you out to New York City, I will do that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thank you guys for doing it. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks for having us. It's always yeah. a great time. I just want my coffee cup. <laughs> You'll no, get your coffee. I, uh, no, seriously though, thank you. It's yeah, it's uh, always a an honor and a pleasure to sit here as part of the OTC Sports Panel, and uh, I hope it it continues on for another. What was this sixth year? Yeah, this is the sixth annual March Madness series. Yeah, I hope it continues on for at least that long. Yeah, exactly. It's always fun doing it. Well, anything to add before we wrap it up? No, we think all, we got it all. We all good in the hood? Good in the hood. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Adam Banks. I want to thank Zach Kahn and Chad Rainwater for joining me on the post-championship game show of the March Madness Series. And this has been the 2019 March Madness Series. Again, I'm Adam Banks. This is Off the Cuff, and I'll see you in the next episode. One shot.